and welcome to Spotlights. It's the podcast for the Yale Forum on Religion and Ecology. And as usual, I'm your host, Sam Mickey. Uh, this week, I want to put the spotlight on eco-anxiety, uh, mainly because the uh, Forum on Religion and Ecology website has been putting together some resources on eco-anxiety. And so uh, I'll provide a link to that in the information for this episode. And uh, along with that, uh, I had a couple anthologies come out this year about eco-anxiety as well. So I figured it'd be good to have uh, an episode to uh, talk about it a little bit. And I don't know, it's been about 15 years maybe uh, of a lot of psychological studies coming out, really demonstrating how much environmental problems impact mental health in general. And it's really you know based on a, a kind of simple idea is that our consciousness or our soul or, you know, what have you, uh, is connected to the world. And so even though uh, ideas of eco-anxiety have been articulated explicitly pretty recently, uh, the origins of this kind of thinking are actually much older. And, you know, even uh, in the 1990s, there were some books coming out about ecological psychology. In the 80s, um, E.O. Wilson had his book Biophilia. That was all about his biophilia hypothesis. Uh, this hypothesis is, suggests that there's some innate tendency for humans to love life, right? So again, connecting our mental states to our relationship to the environment. Also think of people like Paul Shepard with Nature and Madness, uh, the deep ecology movement, people like Arnie Ness, Joanna Macy, so many people saying that the way we feel on the inside reflects our relationships to what's outside of us. And about a hundred years ago, uh, in his 1929 book, Civilization and Its Discontents, uh, Sigmund Freud made a similar point. Um, and here's a, a quote I have for you to kind of demonstrate this. Our present ego feeling is, therefore, only a shrunken residue of a much more inclusive, indeed an all-embracing feeling, which corresponds to a more intimate bond between the ego and the world about it. So. Psyche is connected to cosmos. Soul is connected to the world. And uh, we certainly also see this reflected in religious worldviews and traditional ecological knowledge. And so, you know, what's new about eco-anxiety? It's basically that this connection between our mental health, our consciousness, and the world around us is going through an unprecedented crisis. And of course, you know, plenty of people have gone through terrible crises and uh, many worlds have ended. I think of especially of uh, native genocide, indigenous genocide during the modern colonial period. Uh, and, you know, not to say that those people didn't go through the same kind of thing, but it's never been at this scale before, right? We're talking about a mass extinction event, right? Biologists estimate that we're currently going through the sixth mass extinction. The fifth mass extinction was 65 million years ago, the extinction of the dinosaurs. So, you know, humans, we've been around for 200 or 300,000 years as a species. We've never seen a mass extinction event. So something this intense, right? Global climate change, mass extinction. We've never seen this kind of destruction at a planetary scale. And it's impacting our mental health in a very serious way. And so uh, that's where eco-anxiety comes in, is people trying to identify exactly what are these new mental health challenges that are on the horizon that are beginning to emerge. And it's, you know, it's anxiety about environmental 
cataclysm, environmental disaster, catastrophe, doom, uh, including impending doom. It's not just anxiety about current things. It's also this anxiety about the fact that things are getting worse, right? Climate change is getting worse. So people then have an anxiety about the future, almost a sort of pre-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, so what is eco-anxiety? The Oxford English Dictionary, uh, just a year or so ago, uh, first included it in um, as an official word in the dictionary. So other dictionaries have been picking it up along the way. But of course, the Oxford English Dictionary is very uh, influential. So it's a, a relatively new term as far as uh, getting this kind of official recognition. And the basic definition is that it's something like a chronic fear or worry of environmental cataclysm. Often in response to things like climate change, but it's not always climate change. It could be things like pollution. That itself will cause a lot of anxiety. So always important to note that climate change isn't the only environmental issue going around. It often gets uh, center stage because it is such a, a big issue. But eco-anxiety covers all kinds of environmental destruction that comes from uh, development, from pollution, from climate change, from poor land management, you know, toxicity. All these things can really cause a lot of anxiety. And, you know, some of it also is that still needs to be parsed out is what exactly is anxiety. And, you know, the medical community has its own ideas, but philosophers have their ideas. Religious traditions have their ways of talking about these things because anxiety, it's not quite the same as fear, but it's often related to fear. It's not quite the same as nervousness, but it's related to that. There's all kinds of other feelings that come along with this, right? Depression, um, anger, sense of powerlessness or helplessness. Uh, those can all kind of hang out together. So sometimes it's difficult to uh, exactly draw a line between worry and panic and fear and anxiety. So all kinds of negative emotions. But the basic thing is that these are, uh, you know, states of consciousness that are being shaped by uh, the terrible environmental conditions in the world around us. So I know I've had uh, students, for instance, that during the heat wave told me, uh, you know, I'd get an email and they said, I, I didn't make it to class today because I got a panic attack because of the heat wave. And it's like, well, was it the heat that made you panic? Because the heat itself might not make somebody panic. And it's like, no, it's this general feeling that if it's this hot, something must be really wrong and I can't necessarily put my finger on it. And that's kind of what eco-anxiety is really all about. It's not just eco-fear. And you might remember, you know, the distinction between fear and anxiety is very popular among existential philosophers. People like Kierkegaard and uh, Martin Heidegger, they're you know, very explicit about the fact that anxiety is not like fear. Anxiety doesn't have an object. Like if you're afraid of something, you're afraid of a specific thing. Anxiety is often this generalized kind of feeling where there's just a breakdown in your connection to the world and you can't quite put your finger on it. So that's what eco-anxiety is all about. Then there's a lot of questions going around in the literature about whether or not climate anxiety is different than eco-anxiety or is climate anxiety a type of eco-anxiety. So all that stuff's being hashed out and there's lots of work being done. So I'm definitely not trying to settle any of these debates or disputes here, just kind of introducing the overall territory. People are trying to map out these uh, negative emotions, see how they relate to different phenomena in the environment and see how we can ameliorate them, right? How we can uh, not only diagnose them, but try to give people some sort of remedy for maintaining mental health, building emotional resilience. 
And of course, something that's made things much more complicated is the coronavirus pandemic, right? COVID-19. So that's added a new level of anxiety to everybody's life. And uh, one of the questions then would be, well, is, is pandemic anxiety a sort of eco-anxiety or is it separate from eco-anxiety? And it's hard to say exactly, right? Like it's a, about a virus and a virus is part of the environment. So you could call that ecological anxiety, uh, but at the same time, some people might want to distinguish those. So again, different ways to kind of do the typology of all these terms. Um, but uh, I also want to mention, right, that I had a couple books uh, come out this year. So I wanted to say a little bit about those. Uh, here's this first one with Oxford University Press that I edited with uh, Douglas Bakoch. And it's called Eco-Anxiety and Pandemic Distress, Psychological Perspectives on Resilience and Interconnectedness. So uh, that's, you know, all the contributors are basically dealing with this question. How does eco-anxiety re relate to pandemic distress or pandemic anxiety? And generally, we're seeing that a lot of people are thinking of pandemic distress as a type of eco-anxiety. Obviously, a very specific type. It's a very specific phenomenon that's driving it. And, uh, and they kind of multiply each other, right? Dealing with uh, COVID is one thing. Dealing with wildfires and drought and, you know, pollution is another. Dealing with all of that stuff simultaneously, that really adds a lot of stress on people. So, of course, everybody knows, you know, mental health care has been really very overwhelmed in the last uh, couple of years. So uh, we're trying to parse that stuff out. And, you know, this is just one volume uh, there's really two volumes. The other one is with uh, Springer, and uh, likewise that I edited with Douglas Backoch, and it's called Eco Anxiety and Planetary Hope: Experiencing the Twin Disasters of COVID-19 and Climate Change. So very similar themes. The difference is really that the uh, book with Springer is mostly about like existential and phenomenological approaches to psychology. In other words, the humanities, humanistic psychology, and uh, the book with Oxford eco-anxiety and pandemic stress, that one is a little bit more grounded in social science and uh, including like clinical perspectives and looking at the healthcare industry. So really just a couple different lenses. And I've edited a few books with uh, Douglas uh, before and always a joy to uh, work with him because I think we both have a sense that whenever you're getting an edited collection together, you really want to get a global perspective. So between these two books, we have um, contributors from six continents, right? Couldn't get anybody from Antarctica, uh, but all the other continents are represented. So it's a very global perspective. You get a sense of uh, really what's going on around the whole world. And of course, you know, these essays were written during the pandemic. So they're, you know, kind of different snapshots in time of what things were going like in 2020 or in 2021. And, uh, and the books just came out this year in 2022. So even though things are changing, it's still important to reflect on what was going on in the early parts of the pandemic or even after vaccines were first developed. And so uh, these books, I think, provide a pretty good overview of that. Again, mostly from psychology, uh, a little bit of things from like activism will come up, a little philosophy, some religion, you know, a little, little of that, but really mostly grounded in psychology because after all, uh, eco-anxiety is a psychological concept, you know, first and foremost, that's who's uh, kind of promoting it and who's investigating it. So I have a piece in one of the books. For the most part, you know, our job is just to edit and let other people uh, do all the contributing. And, uh, and I wrote an essay for the uh, book with Springer, a more existential phenomenological thing. And uh, I'll say a little bit about that. 
mostly I was trying to think of the idea of atmospheres and moods. Of course, an atmosphere is like a mood, right? If you go into a restaurant that has a casual atmosphere, you're not using atmosphere in a meteorological sense. It's more experiential. It's more phenomenological. And so uh, I was you know, trying to play around with that ambiguity. And of course, this is also something we get from the German word Stimmung, right? Uh, Stimmung means mood, but it can also mean atmosphere. It can also mean attunement. Um, like Stimma is like a voice. So uh, it has all these different kind of meanings to it. And, you know, Immanuel Kant had a lot to say about it. You know, the feeling of beauty, an experience of beauty in art was for him an attunement to the beautiful artwork. It was something where your soul and the art kind of fuse. Uh, and then, you know, subsequent people in the German philosophical tradition have also picked up on it. Martin Heidegger is uh, another person. And for him, anxiety is a fundamental stimmung. It's one of the, it's the basic way that humans relate to the world. Like we have this basic anxiety, not unlike what Buddhists would call dukkha, right? The first noble truth that life is suffering, that there's some kind of unsatisfactoriness about everything. And this is just a basic condition of life. Now, during the pandemic, dealing with climate change, things like that, uh, we're all kind of experiencing a little bit of an existential breakdown that brings this anxiety to the fore brings it up, makes you face it. Um, and so I was trying to write about that a little bit and really thinking about Timothy Morton's work on dark ecology. Uh, Morton picks up on this idea of uh, Stimmung, looking at attunement, mood, atmosphere, and seeing like, how can we deal with our attunements to a world in such crisis? And the basic idea is practicing something like mindfulness or, you know, non-judgmental self-acceptance, non-judgmental acceptance of others, practicing care and compassion, including compassion for ourselves. And so, you know, Morton in the book, Dark Ecology, goes through these different kind of attunements, suggesting that we can learn to move through them and ultimately find some way of, uh, you know, practice, practicing acceptance and compassion. And so, you know, at first, when a lot of people hear about environmental issues, before you even get to any kind of deep anxiety, people often just feel things like guilt, especially in the global north, especially in the United States, you know, the world's biggest emitter of uh, carbon emissions, massive polluter, so responsible for so much environmental damage. So in particular, if you're from the global north or from the United States in particular, then, you know, you might feel a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. And the more that you feel that and kind of work with it, that can really turn into just full-blown depression. And so Morton's suggestion is like, that's okay, you know, people deal with depression. And one of the ways you can deal with it is, again, by practicing some acceptance. And uh, so again, something like a mindfulness meditation. Morton is deeply influenced by Buddhism. So you can see that in the uh, Dark Ecology book. Then the ideas from guilt and shame and depression, eventually you really start to sink into how horrifying our situation is. And, you know, like a full-blown kind of horror story. And like in horror movies, there becomes a moment where things start to be ridiculous they're so bad. So this is an important turning point in all of these attunements, from guilt and shame to depression and horror. Horror becomes ridiculous. I mean, you see this in a lot of horror movies. There's a point where somebody might be running away from some kind of like killer or monster or whatever. 
And then people will laugh and, and be like, I can't believe this. Like, are you kidding me? How, how is this so bad? It's so bad you get kind of slap happy. And at a certain point, there's some kind of laughter and just fascination that things are even the, how, how is it that things can get so bad? I mean, mass extinction is like that. It's so terribly bad that you might find yourself just unable to comprehend it. And that inability to comprehend something might elicit some kind of laughter from you. So right from horror into ridiculousness, into laughter, not a happy laughter, right? A kind of maniacal laughter, like pathological laughing and crying, right? And somebody's just kind of sobbing. They're kind of laughing. You just don't even know what's happening. You're just really out of your mind. And uh, again, you know, could be with those feelings and, you know, let those attunements kind of disclose what they're going to disclose. And the more you kind of accept that, the more that will go down into an even deeper sadness, not the sadness of depression, but the sadness of just the beauty of things that seeing a climate in breakdown also means you're seeing the climate. And it's this amazing thing. What is the climate, right? It's a statistical average of atmospheric conditions and things like it's, it's so, you know, it's a mood. It's not just meteorological and uh, you're sensing these earth dynamics. You're getting a feeling for Gaia. And so there's a kind of sadness there at a beauty that's so beyond grasp, at a beauty that's unraveling. And that sadness discloses a sort of longing that we long to understand our place on the planet. We long to understand the atmospheres we live in and that that longing is, is the basic anxiety of life, this fundamental attunement that to be at all in the world is to have this longing that never is fully satisfied. Again, dukkha, right? Unsatisfactoriness. Suffering isn't the best translation of dukkha, from my understanding. It's an unsatisfactoriness. It's this kind of disconnect that things are never quite right. And there's always this longing. There's always more desire. And the more that you can accept that, the more that that basic anxiety turns into a kind of basic effervescence. You kind of start to have, you know, bubbly feelings about it doesn't mean that all the guilt and shame and depression and horror have been erased, but it means you've come to a place of acceptance. And so this is dark ecology in a nutshell, is that the darkness of our terrible situation, of this unprecedented environmental crisis, can also turn into a different kind of darkness, kind of bitter, kind of sweet, like dark chocolate. And so uh, that's kind of you know my simple contribution uh, to this, uh, volume, just one. And I don't want to go over everybody else's contributions so much in here. And so, you know, I recommend talk to your local library and, and order these books, but also, uh, go on the forum on religion and ecology website and check out all the eco anxiety resources that we're putting together there. There's uh, a lot going on and, uh, really ultimately a source of hope, you know, as the title for, you know, the book with Springer, eco anxiety and planetary hope that somehow our awareness of the severity of this mental health crisis as it connects to our ecological crisis, that our awareness of that severity means we're doing something about it. Like never before, people are mobilizing resources so that people can understand what's going on in a way where they have some emotional resilience to it. And if we can build more emotional resilience, then we can care 
even though we have anxiety. We care because we have anxiety. So the more we understand that anxiety, the more we can understand our care for the world. And the more we can talk about what we care about, the more we can act, right? So ultimately, you got to talk about it. This is something we hear often from the climate scientist, Catherine Hayhoe. You know, what's the best thing to do about climate change? Talk about it. Once we start talking, we can figure out what we care about, why we're anxious. And when we know what we care about, then we know what we can act, uh, what we can act on. So ultimately, a lot of hope, a lot of opportunities for courage, care, and compassion. Uh, so I'll leave it there. That's enough anxiety for one day. It's not the cheeriest topic, uh, but ultimately I find it's one that uh, talking to friends, talking to colleagues, talking to students, that's one that uh, by talking about more, by thinking about it more, it really does open up a lot of spaces for, uh, for personal growth, for community building, and, uh, and for empowering real action to make the world a better place. The more beautiful place that we all know in our hearts is possible. So I'll be back with some uh, more shows for you later. In the meantime, take care and be well.